Good morning, everyone. So good to be with all of you this morning. I, I got to tell you, I, uh, as I uh, have the incredible privilege of entering into uh, the wonder of God's word, I am so often absolutely and utterly amazed that God would have bothered to in such perfect and beautiful detail tell us his story and tell us our part in his story. That, that we have this thing that for thousands of years has been uh, unfolding because God wanted us to know who we are, what this is all about, who he is and how it all relates. That is an extraordinary thing. And I don't ever want us to forget how incredible it is that we have the revelation of the creator and sustainer. He did not have to reveal himself to us. That was not his obligation. It was his gift and it is our privilege. And so we have been traveling through this story for a long time now. It's now we've passed the decade mark, so that's awesome. We are currently uh, with a man named Paul Geographically speaking, we've been traveling with him on his now third church planting or missionary journey. Uh, we are in Macedonia with him. Remember that he was in Ephesus. He had written a letter that he sent with Timothy to a church in Corinth, which is in Achaia, which is just south of Macedonia on the west side of the Aegean Sea. Uh, uh, Ephesus is on the east side of the Aegean Sea. So he sends this letter with Timothy because uh, there was some turmoil in the church in Corinth that he had planted. Uh, that came back with Timothy. There was some more turmoil because some people were stirring some stuff up. He wrote a very severe letter to them because they were not listening. And so he's like, look, now I'm going to say the hard stuff. And he wrote the hard stuff and he sent Titus with that letter. And then Titus did not return. And so he was super nervous. And so he went out to find Titus. Uh, it was in Troas and then up into Macedonia. And he encounters Titus in Macedonia and gets word that the severe letter that he wrote had, had a good result and that the people of Corinth were repentant due to that letter. This was a massive relief for Paul because he said some really hard stuff in that. We don't know what it was. He didn't bother to tell us, but it, it was apparently very hard. Heart. He is writing a third letter now. We know it as 2 Corinthians. He's writing this letter uh, to the church in Corinth. One, to let them know how, how grateful he is that the severe letter had its impact as he hoped and that there was some movement toward reconciliation and to prepare them for a visit that he is going to make to them uh, shortly because there's still some tension. The severe letter had its impact, but there's still a few things that need to be worked through as is always the case when relationally we've had a rough time, right? And so this second letter, or oh, third letter, 2 Corinthians, uh, I have fallen in love with this letter. And, and I'll tell you why I've fallen in love with this letter. The first letter that he wrote, because the church was behaving so badly, uh, all of their actions were, were in conflict with what they said and knew to be true about the gospel. When Paul writes the first letter, as you remember if you were here, he is dealing with the outward expression of an inward reality. Okay, So he's saying, since you know Jesus, I'm confused as to how these are the behaviors. He's not saying, since you know Jesus, you better behave. He's saying, I don't even understand how you could say these things to be true and then act this way because by definition, this action would negate what you say you believe. And so he was really dealing in a letter with the way we live out our outward expressions considering the inward reality. The second 
Corinthians letter, the third letter he writes, he flips it exactly the other way around, which is why I love it so much, right? In this letter, he talks about outward things that would seem ordinary to you and me. Uh, you know, we do this, we do that. But he, it's almost as though every time he's talking about a normal thing that you and I are engaged in in life, he's going he's gonna to lift up the hood and go, now let me show you the inward reality. Let me show you the gospel. Let me show you the redemptive story of God and how it shapes and informs this particular obvious outward expression. So it's almost as though we get to see the secret, right? Here's, here's how you're, you're behaving as a Christ follower. Let me show you why. Let me show you why. Because the why is what's so extraordinary and beautiful. Because it is the gospel, the redemptive story of God that informs us as to how we live. And so this letter, it's just been like one massive tidal wave of gospel, right? And I've been loving it. So We've been traveling with Paul as he has been sharing a number of things. In 2 Corinthians, we've encountered grace, perhaps in a way I've never encountered it before. The grace of God to us, the grace of God through us, our grace to others in response to God's grace to us. We've talked about God's great comfort for us in affliction. We've talked about God's great story for us. We've talked about being the recipients from God of, of a new covenant that has reshaped the entire destiny of our future. We've talked about our soul being rescued. We've talked about our future being redeemed by this new covenant. We've talked about the hope that has emerged due to the new covenant. I mean, we are the recipients of an extraordinary wonder, right? And then God in 2 Corinthians starts telling Paul, tell him this. Not only are they a recipient of the redemptive story of God, they are participants in the redemptive story of God. So we find out he didn't only rescue our soul, redeem our future, but he restored our created purpose to be image bearers of God and to carry the good news of the gospel into the world for the sake of seeing the world redeemed. So we found out we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. We are carriers of the light of the gospel. We are to advance into the darkness unafraid, carrying the light to watch the light overcome the darkness. I mean, you, you just want to get giddy, don't you? And that is up to chapter 8. And now what Paul's going to do, which we're going to see in a second, is he's going to do what he's done masterfully so far by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is going to take an ordinary conversation about an ordinary thing, and he is going to show us the beauty behind it. You see, when he was in Corinth, he had encouraged the Corinthians the first time he was there in the discipleship to regularly set aside a portion of their resources, their financial resources, because Corinth was an affluent city. Uh, they tended to have more resources than much of the world. And so he said to them, set aside regularly every time you gather some portion of your resources so that on a regular basis we can take those resources and we can effectively utilize them uh, to serve the, the movement of the gospel and the church as a whole. The church in Jerusalem was under great persecution, struggling, and Paul would take resources to them to help them in their poverty, okay? And so he had told the Corinthians this. At some point along the way, the Corinthians had expressed great desire for this, had found the great blessing in this generosity, and so they were pouring out. And then when the people that had come up from Jerusalem stirred things up against Paul, the Corinthian church stopped doing uh, what they had said they had the great desire to do and what they had committed to do. And so now the resources, 
Paul had heard from Titus, the resources were not being set aside. So think about this. Paul is going to come back to Corinth for his visit. This will be his third visit now, right? He's preparing them in this letter. When I return, here's some things I think we need to get on the same page on so that I'm not disappointed, so that you're not disappointed, so I don't have to get mad at you, right? That's what he's doing in this letter. And so all he has to do is write a little paragraph saying this. Hey guys, remember you committed to being generous by setting a portion of your resources aside for the church in Jerusalem? When I come for this visit, I'm expecting that you're gonna con- you will have continued to do that, and I'm going to take those resources to Jerusalem. Please don't have me show up and find out there are no resources, because you were not generous. That's all he had to say, but he doesn't do that. No, 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 no. Not in this letter, because in this letter, he's going to show us the beauty of the gospel the redemptive story of God, as it informs why we do what we do. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And this is where Paul begins what should be a simple paragraph about reminding them simply to continue to be generous. No, he does this. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, he says, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now remember, he's in Macedonia. Macedonia is just north of Achaia. Really, it's the same region of the world. It's on the west side of the Aegean Sea. So the church in Corinth will have known the churches in Macedonia. We're talking Philippi. We're talking uh, um, uh, Thessalonica. We're talking Athens. We're talking uh, Berea. These are the kinds of places we're talking all north of Corinth. Okay, so when he says the churches in Macedonia, Macedonia, these boys, these ladies, they know each other, at least in reputation, if not directly, okay? So he says, man, I want to tell you about the grace that's been happening in Macedonia. For it is, uh, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So here's the paradigm that's so weird that makes this story worth telling for Paul to the church in Corinth. He goes, listen, you all have heard about what's going up in Macedonia. Uh, it's been high persecution, great affliction from the churches, uh, for the churches there from Rome. And in that, they have effectively found themselves as a church in an economic downturn massively because Rome is pressing in hard, right? So they are now in poverty. They do not have enough resources to be in a good place, and they're under persecution. They are afflicted. That is a double whammy, you with me? Very hard and poor. And and, and here's what you do. When in any normal situation, people are under great affliction, and part of that affliction is a poverty, an economic downturn, what is the expectation with the giving, the generosity? that it's gonna go down, right? If you're a smart planner and you have a nonprofit and our economic uh, economy takes a nosedive, start cutting back, right? Because the next thing that takes a nosedive is generosity. And here's what Paul says, listen, this was super weird, he says. Super awesome, but super weird. In a time of great affliction that included great poverty, the generosity and the resources increased in Macedonia. What? You know, there was more resources for the church in Jerusalem 
from Macedonia while they were in affliction and in poverty. Watch why, watch why, look at this. He says this, for they gave according to their means, verse three, as I can, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Now he puts that in there because remember, Paul is trying to show us how the gospel, the redemptive story of God, informs the way that people live in the early church. And so he's saying, listen, I just want you to be, I wanna be clear, I didn't do a speech. I didn't inspire them. I didn't get up and go, oh, if you do this, it's gonna come back to you a hundredfold and some people will be blessed and they'll come up and, and then they'll, they'll, they'll be super grateful as well. I didn't do any speech. This was of their own accord. They gave according to their means, so they were already faithful. That's great. And then more than their means, they could not give, should not have given, but they did, and this of their own accord. Take a look at this begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has uh, that he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. So here's what Paul's saying. When Titus came and he shared with you that your generosity needs to continue even though it's come to a stop, the reason I told Titus to talk to you about money wasn't because we need money. I told him to talk to you about the money because you made a commitment, because you, you, you believed how the gospel shaped you, and it was because of what was happening in Macedonia. When this was happening in Macedonia, I said to Titus, you better tell the Corinthians. This is incredible. Don't let them miss out on this because the Macedonians had it right. When they had too little to give, they begged Paul for the opportunity to share in the blessing of serving the saints in another city that were worse off than them. What? These were not people giving out of abundance, they were people giving out of poverty. Because they realized that while we're on this planet, as participants in the gospel, our greatest privilege, our greatest privilege is to participate in the gospel, not to build for ourselves a safety net. And so if we have what we need and more, that is not our great privilege. That could become our downfall because if we do that at the cost of participating in the redemptive story of God as much as we are given privilege to, then we are doing ourselves a great disservice. And so that's what Paul's saying. I told Titus, tell the Corinthians because look at the Macedonians. Now look at this, look at this. And now he says it to them directly. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul is gonna call this an act of grace. Do you remember where first, uh, Second Corinthians started? God's grace to us, God's grace through us, our grace to others in response to God's grace to us, and now he is tying the active act of the movement of our resources to meet the needs of others to an active act of grace. Wow! That's crazy. This is what we get to do. This is how we get to do it. And this is what he says the gospel is telling us, right? Now look at this. Look what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through the, the, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So now he immediately reminds us 
If there's anything you do, if there's anything I do as a Christ follower, why do we do it? We do it because our rabbi did it before us. That's it. That's the only reason. You and I are servants of Jesus Christ. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. That means if he says it, we say it. If he does it, we do it. If he doesn't do it, we don't do it. If he doesn't say it, we don't say it. We simply do what he did, live as he did. This is our task on this planet. And he has told us we are his ambassadors, the reconcilers of people to God through the carriers of the redemptive story into the world. Wow. And now he's tying that to the resources he's given us and saying your resources you have were actually secret, secret, not for you to use for yourself. They were for you to use to participate in the story of God. You couldn't have participated with resources if you had none. So I'm going to give you some so you can play in the story of God. Can I keep them? I mean, you can. That's kind of stupid. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Watch. Watch, watch, watch. Okay? He says this. As a matter of, uh, in, in the matter, uh, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, we're now in verse 10, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring, uh, in, in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So he's saying this. Look, I, was, I, was, I remember the conversation where you said, yes, we want in. Yes, we want to do this. Yes, we want to participate in the gospel. Yes, we want to use our resources. So you had the desire. You started doing it. Don't stop now. I'm trying to remind you of why you started and why it still matters. Not because the church in Jerusalem needs your money, but because you need to participate in the story of God in the church of Jerusalem. So don't forget why you're doing this. And he's now saying, I've shown you the example of Christ. And what did Christ do? He became poor so that we might become rich, okay? Now watch this. This this next little piece is a gift to us, folks. It is literally saying what Jesus did for us. I'm not expecting you to go that far. Even though you could if you wanted to, you don't have to. Watch this. Look at this. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. Watch this. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Here's what he's saying. If you want to participate in the story of God and you have resources, right? God is not asking you to go as far as Jesus did and give it all so that someone else would benefit and you would be in poverty. You could do that. Some are called to that. And if you are, get on your knees and thank God for that incredible calling. But most of us, he's simply saying this. God is not asking you to become poor so someone else can become wealthy or someone else can benefit. He's simply asking you, according to what you have, to make sure that you are generous with what you have. And if you don't think you have enough, get some wise counsel on that because most of us don't think we have enough when we have more than we will ever need. Now watch this, watch this. Look what he says here, he says it. It's not me saying it. For, look at this, uh, verse, uh, verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased 
and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs, so that their abundance may supply your needs, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is crazy because it's telling us how God set the system up so that we can participate in a story and in participating display the reality of the gospel among ourselves. Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. And God has just told us one of the ways that he has set it up so that we can actively display what love is. He said this, in the body of Christ, there are gonna be some who do not have enough. That's pretty cool, right? And they're going to be some that have more than they need. Those who have gathered more than they need had nothing left over when they were done, just what they needed. And those who did, who did not have what they needed lacked nothing when they were done. Two groups of people from two very different spaces, a group that had too little and a group that had too much. And when it was done in the body of Christ, watch this. These didn't lack. These didn't have abundance. They both had what they needed. And then he uses the word fairness. He says this, God set this up so that in the body of Christ, we can always navigate our resources so that we are creating fairness in an unfair world. <gasps> we are taking our abundance and we're shifting it into spaces of lack of need so that all have needs met and none have too much. Do you know why? Watch this. When someone does not have enough, it creates anxiety it creates suffering, it creates struggle, it creates, it creates affliction, and it creates a burden that allows them not to be able to participate as well as they could in the gospel. You with me? And wait for it, when we have too much, it creates idols, it creates arrogance, it creates self-reliance, it creates a space where we think more of ourselves than we ought, it creates a broken down relationship with God because we don't depend anymore. Which is more dangerous? Both. And so God said this, you know I could solve both problems in one foul swoop. If you have too much, give it to those who don't have enough. Then they'll have enough, you won't have too much, you won't have idols, they won't have affliction. The gospel will move forward. And we haven't even gotten to the best part of generosity yet. This is just kind of the quick little surface stuff. You ready? It gets cooler, watch this. So, God set it up this way. Now, um, from verse 16 uh, through the end of chapter 8, he talks a bit about Titus. And, he, and so we're going to skip that because we're going to come back to that another time. But, but it's in the middle of the conversation about generosity. So we're going to step over to 9-1 because this is where the conversation continues. Look at this. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. In other words, he's saying, look, I don't need to tell you about what's going on in Jerusalem, what's going on uh, around the world, because you already know, look at this, for I know your readiness of which I uh, boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, that's where Cor uh, Corinth is, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. What did he just say? This is so crazy cool. This is how the body of Christ should function. Watch this. How did he start this little story? I want to tell you about a ch the churches in Macedonia. 
I mean, their generosity is beyond belief. In their poverty, they have given more than we could have expected. This is the kind of church that should inspire you, Corinth, to continue to give. Now watch what he did. By the way, do you know how the Macedonian church got so inspired? Do you know why they gave so generously? Because I told them about you. Isn't that awesome? It's, it's like, well, hold on. The Macedonians are inspiring the Corinthians by their generosity, and they were inspired to be generous by Paul telling them that the Corinthians started doing it a year before them. And so, look what it's done. The generosity of one stirs up or spurs on the generosity of another that in their generosity stirs up and spurs on the ongoing generosity of the one that stirred them up in the first place. Do you hear what's going on? In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, do not neglect meeting together regularly as some are in the habit of doing, but spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We are literally watching it happen before our very eyes. Corinth stirs up Macedonia, stirs up Corinth, stirs up Macedonia, stirs up Corinth, and before you know it, an extraordinary active act of grace called generosity is flowing out of the churches. The churches in lack are taken care of. The gospel moves forward. The world has changed and the glory of God is felt. I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyways, let's take a look what happens next. This is incredible stuff, guys. Watch this. Verse three of chapter nine. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. So here's what he's saying. I know your hearts, guys. I know your hearts. I know you got caught up in some things where people stirred you up. I know that you've ceased setting aside. I've heard from Titus. We're coming. I'm bringing some Macedonians with me. I've told them about you. I told them last year. They were stirred up to be incredibly generous. Can you imagine what an incredible tragedy it would be if we show up and I boasted about you? Oh man, the church in Corinth, they're incredible. They love Jesus, they're gospel-centric and they're generous. And then we get there and the Macedonians find out it's all a joke. You said you'd be generous, but not only are you not generous, but you broke your promise, you didn't fulfill it, and all the stories I told about you are not true. I would be humiliated, you would be humiliated, the confidence I have in you would be gone, the confidence you have in yourself would be gone, the entire testimony of the gospel would be gone, and all that because we are choosing not to set aside what we promised, so I thought I'd send someone ahead of time to fix all of that so that I don't get there and all that craziness happens. See how nice he is? I'm just telling you ahead of time, so you don't blow it for you, for me, for the church, for the gospel. This is an act of grace on Paul's part. He doesn't need the money, folks. He's taking it to Jerusalem. But he wants them to know your generosity is what matters, not what God does with the money. It's not whether the lights get turned on or not. It's whether you are generous or not because that's your calling, your privilege, your safety net, and your participation in the gospel. Now look at this. The point is this, he says. Okay, so now it's conclusion time. He's gonna sum it all up. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap 
bountifully. Each one must give as he has desired in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Here it is, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Most misused verses in scripture, I think. The tragedy that men and women of influence who need resources have used these verses to say, if you give to God, he will give to you more than you gave to him and you will be wealthy. And that's how you do it. And the reason you're poor is because you're not generous. I want you to know that is a lie from the pit of hell. It is. God is not interested in you having more resources so that you can have larger idols so that you can be more destroyed. That is the enemy's desire. God is interested in giving you resources to sow into redemption so that the righteousness of the church would increase and the glory of God would be known. And he just said it there beautifully. I have given you stuff so that you can use that stuff to redeem the planet so that the planet would know you as righteous and me as loving. Go do that and here's what'll happen. My grace will abound in you beyond your wildest imagination. I will supply your needs so that you can continue to supply the needs of others and in supplying the needs of others, your righteousness will grow because as it is written, when we serve those who have less than us, we are actively righteous. Do you remember what James said? This is the religion God loves. This is the religion he calls pure and holy. Keep yourself unstained from the idiocy of the culture in which you live in the world in which you live and serve the orphans, the widows, and the destitute. You want to know what righteousness expressed is? There it is. And here he's saying, do you know that I gave you resources so you could do that? <laughs> I gave you stuff so you could go do that. And then your culture told you, keep it. You can buy other things with it that you can have and then you'll be happy and we're mostly miserable because we are not participating as we could in the redemptive story of God with our resources. Do you see what Paul's telling us? It's like he's opening up to us the secret behind it all. God doesn't need your stuff because it's not yours, it's his. He can take it from you at any second. But he doesn't because he wants you to have the privilege of participating in the redemptive story of God. Watch this. And we're not done. <laughs> you thought we were. We're not done. It gets better. Okay, watch this. We're almost done though. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service 
is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Here's what he's saying. The guys in Macedonia are blown away by the way you're living your life out. They are confident in what they're seeing in you. They are absolutely in awe of the grace that God has given you in your abundance so that you could be generous to the rest of the world and the church. They are giving thanks to God. They are praying for you and wait for it. The single most important thing we were made to do was to authenticate the gospel, to make the gospel beautiful. And he just said, and in your generosity, they are seeing that what you say you believe is true, which means that what you believe is real. The gospel is authenticated to the world out of our active generosity. Do you know why? Because the thing the world wants most is stuff. Because stuff makes us feel safe. So when we take our stuff, that which is most dear to our hearts, and we release it to the story of God, we are actively saying, oh, this is real. Because when we hold our stuff, we're saying the opposite. God is good, but I need my stuff. God will provide, but only if I keep my stuff. God will take care of me as long as I work 90 hours a week and have more stuff. See what we're doing? But when we go like this, God gave me things so that I can participate in the story of God, then we're saying God's kingdom is real and God's love is real and the gospel is real and that is awesome. And then the very last little verse of this section, the final piece of the puzzle. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What an inexpressible gift is Paul talking about here? Well, he could be talking about the gospel, but that's not the context. Do you see that? It's not the context. The gift that God has given us here is the resources we have. Here's the gift. The, the resources aren't the gift. The resources we have so that we can participate in the story of God through generosity. That is the active gift he's given us. That is the gift of grace we have. You and I, if we know Jesus, are not simply recipients of the gospel, we are active participants in the redemptive story of God, the gospel. And we have the choice every day in our lives to abandon that great privilege and live for ourselves. God still loves us, we'll still die and have our future redeemed, our soul is still rescued. That's crazy. He should abandon us, but he doesn't. But we will wholly miss out on the most extraordinary human privilege while on this planet and that is to participate in being redeemers on behalf of Christ with our relationships, with our circumstances, and with our resources. Giving is not a means by which a church can turn lights on, build buildings, and stay on track. Giving is a gift given to us from God to be participants in the redemptive story of God. One of the greatest disservices we can do to ourselves is lacking in generosity. I want to say that again. One of the greatest disservices we can do to ourselves is to lack in generosity. Because every time we lack in generosity, we choose 
to not participate in the redemptive story of God in a way we were given to do that. You see, often our view of generosity, giving, tithing, is that it is either a burden or at the very least an obligation. It is a gift, an inexpressible gift from God, allowing us to participate in the story of God. We, we've seen that here. We've seen that here. A little less than a year ago, we started the Get Loud initiative. We want to get loud. Exactly what this passage said. The, the more generous you are, the louder you make the gospel. So we were like, let's get loud, baby. And so we called you all into generosity. And you all, like the Corinthian church, had the desire and actively expressed that desire. And since you've done that, you have followed through on that desire. We know because we've seen it happen. And in the following through of that desire, in your ongoing and beautiful generosity, some things have happened. I have been able to boast of you. Oh man, I, I hang out with lots of pastors locally and globally, and I tell them of you, I do. We have a church, you're not gonna believe it. Yes, it's in America. Yes, they're generous. Yes, they're on mission. Yes, they are willing to die for the gospel. Some are getting there. Some have gone too far and are dying already. You're not too far. I'm with you. I'm dying with you. But we are an incredible church. I get to tell them. And then that stirs them up. And they go back to their church and like, you got to hear about this other church. And then they want to be more like us. So exactly the story Paul told, I get to tell of you. And you know what that story results in? Not only does it result in our ongoing ability to serve this community by creating space and staff and things to be able to facilitate the people that want to come in with their children to hear this beautiful gospel, to be told their soul is rescued, their future redeemed, and their purpose restored, and they are ready to go out and live on mission for the gospel. But we also get to participate in stories locally and globally that have nothing to do with our little story here. We participate in church planting around the globe. We participate in works of justice and mercy around the globe. And it is a direct correlation to our generosity. How much we give is how much we can participate. Paul writes to the church in Philippi after they sent him a financial gift while he was in prison and he says this, I thank God every time I think of you for your participation with me in the gospel. You know what he was telling them? Thanks for giving. They didn't come they didn't do anything. He said, you, he said to them, you share with me as I preach the gospel in this prison. In God's economy, when we give of our resources and we geographically don't go, we have nothing else, we don't preach, we don't do anything else, we are immediately direct participants in that story. Because of your generosity, I want to show you one glimpse. This is a tip of an iceberg of this last year of what we've been able to do as a cumulative biblical community. Here's the tip of the iceberg, okay? Just in our global partners, since Get Loud started a year ago, here's what we've been able to do. Take a look at this, okay? We've been able to double our support for the Baumans in Brazil and double our support for the Hilliards in South Africa. They needed it because they are doing extraordinary works there in church planting and justice and mercy ministry. And do you see the rest of the list? Those are all new partners since we started Get Loud. All of them. We were not supporting those people prior to Get Loud. We could not support them because we did not have the resources and because we together got loud with our resources, we have added all of those since we started Get Loud. Those are now people being supported by this church. We are active participants in stories in Kenya, Thailand, Japan, Honduras, South Africa, Honduras, PA, FL, 
MA. And Brazil and Africa and the other partners that aren't on this list that we were already supporting. And if they could write, as Paul did, they would write this. I thank God every time I think of you, Mosaic Church, for your participation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they would tell us what they're up to so that we would know what we are up to because we are actively participating in the redemptive story of God. Press in, folks. Press into your generosity. Don't bow out. Press in. Get bigger. Get louder. Get more daring, more fearless. Why? Because you and I have been given an inexpressible gift from God. The act of grace that we've been given is that we have stuff with which we can be generous so that we can participate in the redemptive story of God. Let us live our lives participating fearlessly so that we might leave this planet and know the grace of God abundantly and that our righteousness may have increased exponentially with every person we served on this planet and that we might stand before our Savior and go, I gave it all away. And he might go, I know. I gave it all to you so you could give it all away. Well done. Let's pray. God, thank you for the inexpressible privilege of having resources so that we can share with those who do not have enough so that they might have enough and we won't have too much. God, thank you that you were so clear in this passage that we don't have to have a poverty theology where we, we make ourselves righteous by suffering more, by choosing poverty so that we can show ourselves to be righteous. You said it so clearly. I'm not telling you that you need to relieve the burden of others by burdening yourself, but yet you do invite us to dare to step further than we think. May we learn to live well in our prosperity and in our poverty, making the gospel beautiful in our prosperity and our poverty. May we be good stewards of the resources you've given us, not using them to build our own kingdoms, but using them to build yours. And when you bless us with resources to serve our families and to serve our, our, our needs, may we be overly grateful and may we continue as a people to dare to trust you enough to press further into generosity than we ever have, not because anyone needs it, but because you have allowed us to participate in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.